common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. We have a special guest today. Yeah, we, we sure do. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, who is coming up right now. And Alan Dershowitz, of course, a great constitutional lawyer, also Harvard Law School emeritus and great best-selling author. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, great to have you here. Well, thank you. You know, I didn't realize that the logo for this show is Truth, Justice, and the American Way, because those of us who are my age remember that was Superman. Exactly logo. right. That's Superman. And we played the I'm, Superman music. Right. right. And I, I'm looking right now at comic book number 11 of Superman wow. from the late 1930s, early 1940s. I grew up with Superman. And, but now, uh, but right now we're living in bizarro world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking, so Alan, keep, keep speaking, doing justice and truth in the American way. We'll I'm do that every day. Of speaking of bizarro yeah. world, Alan, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to talk to you about what happened at Stanford Law School where Judge oh, Duncan God. of the United States Court of Appeals was booted down. And you wrote a great <laughs> article, Alan, in Gatestone. Would you tell us about it, please? Yeah. I mean, if this is what American lawyers are going to be like five, six, ten years from now. I mean, can you imagine any judge hiring one of these thugs as a law clerk or any Wall Street firm hiring these guys? Um, They shouted down a judge. They called him the worst names in the world. When it came time to asking a question, they asked him about his sex life. Um, It was just terrible. Uh, You know, with somebody who taught at law schools, and I taught at Stanford, among other places, for 50 years, I have never seen quite anything like that. And the dean, the dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion, basically supported the students. Oh, she paid lip service to free speech. Oh, but my she God. Said, no, she was awful. Why should we she was awful. somebody like that? He's going to cause harm psychologically to the students. They will be upset to hear different points of view from their own and, oh and you know, she was worse is, than the students. My suggestion is Stanford ought to hire a new dean, a dean for diversity, diversity of ideas, free speech and and tolerance. So but, let, let me ask you, Professor, is there anything that can be done? You know, it was it was horrible. Everybody that video is going viral everywhere. And yeah. the dean basically appealed to the students and said, don't you basically agree how terrible he is? It was shocking. Yeah, well, what should be done is, first of all. The the National Lawyers Guild, which is, you know, a hard left, intolerant, woke organization, is the one that sponsored this. And they have now put out the names of the people in the Federalist Society who invited him. Well, I think the names of the protesters ought to be made public. Absolutely. So judges and law firms will know. I would never dream of hiring one of these thugs to, to represent people. What if they don't like the person who they're representing? Suddenly they're going to turn against them. Right. I mean, that's not what lawyers are supposed to be doing. Alan, and your point is very good. You don't want to penalize all the law students at Stanford or right. Yale or Georgetown who pull this time, just the ones who engage in this censorship activity. But you know what the sa- right. scary thing? They're doing the opposite. How outrageous is that, Judge? Yeah, I- no, they're going to they're going to be they're going to be people who make heroes out of these guys. Look, the same things happened at Berkeley. At Berkeley, fourteen clubs amended their constitutions to prohibit any Zionist from ever speaking 
Zionist means anybody who believes Israel has the right to exist. So I couldn't speak about the Constitution. The dean who's Jewish and a Zionist can't speak at Berkeley. And I also suggested publishing the names of the people who engaged in this kind of censure. It's not McCarthyism. In McCarthyism, they publish the names of people who hadn't been communists for 20 years, who were living normal, decent lives. Here, there's the kids who are publicly joining in this kind of thuggish behavior, and every law firm ought to know their names. You're and, right. And, 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 Alan, and, until, and, until a dean has a Reagan moment and tells yeah. a bunch of students, you no longer attend this university because you didn't meet up to our standards, it's going to continue. That someone has to have the balls to do that. Guys, it happened to me. I'm on the board of the new school. I was appointed by uh, Bob Kerry at the time. And uh, Tom Ridge wants to, has a new book and wants to speak in front of the students. And, and me invite him. And me and uh, Bob Kerry uh, was in, uh, on the front row along with Tom Ridge. And there was two, three, only two or three disruptive students wouldn't allow Tom Ridge Wow. To talk. The former former Homeland Security Secretary, yeah. Governor of Pennsylvania, an accomplished guy. You want to hear how bad this really is? Yes, tell me. I taught at Harvard for 50 years. If I were invited tomorrow to speak at Harvard, they would disrupt my speech. They would not allow me to speak. I'm a liberal Democrat who supports 80% of their agenda, but I'm not woke enough. I'm not progressive enough. I'm not censorial enough. And I'm too tolerant of different points of view. You should work so on that, Alan. Our uh, foreign to... governments, do they have an undue influence on our universities? That is the question. Certainly. Well, funding, funding by foreign universities, particularly private universities like Stanford. Stanford, we know, has gotten a lot of private funding. I know the president of Stanford. He's a very decent guy. He used to be the president of Rockefeller University, just down the block from where I live. And he did condemn this. The question is, will he go further? Will yeah. he go further? And if he does, will he be fired? First of all, today, every white male president of, many, of any university is being asked gently, please resign so we can make room for a minority person to be the president. And virtually every new president who's been appointed are appointed as the result of the diversity equity, and inclusion uh, criteria. America is under attack. Let me tell you something. A few days ago, I had a U.S. senator here, and he's a tough U.S. senator, a nice man, smart man, and we had that discussion that I have with you sometimes, 2076, the 300th year of our country. Are we going to make it to 2076? Are our grandkids going to make it, or great-grandkids going to make it to 2076? And he has, and he, a U.S. senator, has a lot of concerns. Well, and what was his answer? His answer. He has a lot of concerns. That's scary. I have a lot of concerns. We will make it as a country, but what will we be? Will we be a Venezuela. country that abides by the First Amendment? Will we be a country that believes in due process? Will we be a country that believes in meritocracy? I think meritocracy is dying, and I think that will destroy. America's uniqueness. I mean, we have made it as the number one country in the history of the world because we were the most meritocratic. Anybody could make it in America. The American dream. The American dream is Are we going to lose today. it? Well, we can, yeah. I'm going to say to something, all Americans out there, all, uh, all people that love the United States of America, we're in danger. 
And yeah. we better love our country a little bit more, love our, our way of life. Otherwise, we're going to lose it. Venezuela right. lost it in 20 years. Yeah, very quickly. But really scary. In the meritocracy, we do have to give everybody an equal chance at the beginning. We have to have much better preschool, much better early health care. We can't let people compete in a meritocracy when they've already lost the battle because of early problems that we don't pay enough attention to. We should be paying attention from kindergarten up. I want to make sure that every young kid uh, can compete. You know what I love? Recently, I was in New York. At, you've all been there. Washington Square Park. And you see these chess masters who are beating everybody for money. And virtually all of them are African-American. Um, there's no difference between the inherent ability of people based on race. It's just that these kids have been brought up early on to become great chess players. If they were also brought up early on to become you know, great doctors and great lawyers and great it would make. I all just the got a text, uh, Rita. Yeah. Why don't you uh, tell them about the text? Not everybody has seen that video, so tell them real fast, so yeah. so everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah, we're, we were talking about uh, the judge. This is again just for people who are listening out there. If you haven't seen the video, you got to go online. Uh, judge Kyle Duncan, U.S. Court of Appeals, federal judge, goes to speak at Stanford, and the students go crazy because they don't like his views, and then suddenly the dean of diversity comes in. And the whole, literally, they would not let him speak. Um, definitely check out the video. you got to come back on again another time, Professor Dershowitz. We want to talk Thank with you. you about Trump and a whole bunch and, more. Oh, Thank and, you. And, and, and I have a new book coming out tomorrow called Get Trump, all about the efforts to try to prevent Trump from running illegally and Bragg's attempt to indict him. Oh, you so got to come back on, on on that. that. And you're going to yeah, come yeah. back on this week because we right. want to talk about it. Get Trump uh, by Professor Dershowitz. Thank you so much. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. I understand we also have Nick Langworthy, who is joining us right now to talk about what a mess New York is in. With us today is Congressman Nicholas Langworthy, and uh, he got elected first-term congressman, and uh, he was the chairman of the New York State uh, Republican Party, well, Congressman, congratulations, and how does Washington look to you? Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be there. It's great to be uh, serving the 23rd Congressional District and to be part of our new Republican majority, which was led by New Yorkers. We have 11 seats in Congress. It's our largest Republican delegation in 20 years. Uh, so there's not a day that goes by that someone doesn't comment, to, uh, especially the seven freshmen from New York, on the fact that we made the majority. In dark blue. In other words, New York made the difference in uh, Kevin McCarthy became, becoming speaker. A hundred percent. In 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 the speaker knows that our leadership, uh, you know, certainly appreciates uh, the strong voice that you know we need to have for this state. We need to turn the corner. I mean, we have so much going against us in New York that we need to be the voice of reason and common sense uh, for this state. Well, Nick Langworthy, uh, New York has a major problem. Uh, we've lost 484,000 uh, consumers, mostly wealthy ones that pay the taxes. Uh, well, there's now the businesses in, in New York on, are supposedly under attack. Uh, Tish James uh, uh, put out a, um, well, a, a request for comments, I guess on going after more businesses in, in New York State. I mean, all, all the uh, 
consumers have left, are we going to have the businesses leave too? They won't be content until they've chased every last entrepreneur out of the state of New York. I mean, it, it, it's it's absurd how many New Yorkers have left for Florida. And it's not all weather. It's about economic freedom. It's about personal freedom. It's about your ability to dictate your own life and not have government fight you every single step of the way. God forbid someone tries to make a profit in this state. They're vilified by our own government. Well, it's wrong. It's dead wrong. And Tish James should be ashamed of herself. Let me tell you, uh, uh, yesterday we had Rick Scott in from Florida, and Rick Scott is the senior senator in the, in Florida, and he keeps telling people, come on down. And Florida is, uh, is gaining population. New York is losing population. Uh, and uh, we also had Tom DiNapoli on our show a couple weeks ago, and he says we're okay for the budget uh, for this year, but I'm worried about year two, three, four, and five because if all these people keep moving out and we're paying for the migrants coming in, it's you might have the same population, but there's no money to pay the budget. You, you have, uh, today I read in the Post, every spot at, a, at the Migrant Immigration Center is spoken for through 2032. It's, a, it's embarrassing what's happening here. We, we have created a sanctuary state. The only people that uh, are coming in here willfully are here illegally, and we have chased everyone away. There's no one in South Carolina that says, I'm at a breaking point. Next year we're moving to New York. It's the other way around. We are hemorrhaging our population. We've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm well, a, a Buffalo-based upstate politician. N- nobody- I know this very well. This has been the narrative my whole life. But once it's gotten contagious in New York City, where there's so much opportunity, it's, it's, it's irreversible unless you get politicians in office that actually understand that, that business is not the enemy. Well, Governor Patterson has advised uh, Governor Hochul that she has a lot of power under the budget. And law and order is number one priority in my thing. And, and also to control not overspending because there's not going to be enough New Yorkers left to pay. We need people from all over the country to want to come to New York to spend their money. You know, it's, 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 it's one of the great tourist cities in America. But every time we're on the news, it's not for a positive thing. It's about for crime and the crime wave that is riddled this city. And, and it's, it's got to stop. But it's also chasing our citizens away. We can't afford to chase any more tax-paying citizens away and replace them with people that are a burden on the economy. How many in your delegation for New York State uh, in, uh, uh, in Washington and the Congress right now? We have 11 Republicans in, in the House uh, delegation, and that's the largest we've had in 20 years. you got to speak out and say, guys, we live in New York. Enough is enough. You, you're chasing out all the consumers. You're, changing out, cha- you're chasing out all the taxpayers, the people that actually pay the taxes. And now you want to chase out the businesses. Enough is enough. Well, and we've been standing shoulder to shoulder against this radical green agenda, especially what Kathy Hochul's trying to do, vilifying natural gas and, and, and shutting down uh, development. And, and our opportunities to have cheap natural gas that that's, could be harnessed right here in my district, in the southern tier. And electric cars. Electric cars. You lived in Buffalo area. Now, well, you, I understand. I heard a rumor you told uh, the governor your feelings on if there was electric cars in Buffalo, 
versus normal gasoline cars. What what did you tell? Well, we had a delegation meeting, and and I, I I talked to her about the blizzard we had over Christmas in, in in Buffalo. We lost fifty of our citizens in this terrible terrible storm. Worst horrible, worst blizzard I lived through. But I told her if your electrification mandates were in place at the time of this blizzard, we would add five hundred dead, not fifty. And that's a cold, hard reality. And if you have electric stoves, and if you have electric cars, and electric furnaces, and, and electric furnaces, you're going to have a lot more debt. You're going to freeze to death, and that's that's the reality. Our climate can't handle it. Uh, we have tough weather uh, in upstate New York, and in, in they have lost touch with reality with this Green New Deal. It's almost a religion to these people. Congressman, thank you for coming on. And you and 11 other New York State congressmen fight for New York because the Empire State, we're going to lose if we don't fight hard enough. Thanks, John. We'll keep the fight. God bless. Thanks. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Now we have joining us out Melissa DeRosa, John. And she knows how to run the state. She's been there running the state. Yeah, she sure does. Of course, a former right-hand person to then Governor Cuomo. Melissa, we're so glad to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Of course, Rita with the great John Katsimatidis, the best-selling author, John Katsimatidis, Melissa, and also Judge Richard Weinberg, Craig Eaton, and Tony Carbonetti still in studio with us. Uh, you know, we got to ask you, Melissa, uh, the big news also about uh, Kirsten Gillibrand. Apparently, you had a great column uh, talking about how basically she's going around telling donors that Andrew Cuomo uh, may run against her. Tell us about it. You know, listen, Kirsten Gillibrand should be careful what she wishes for, <laughs> because one of these days, one of these people she says is going to run against her will actually do it. And then she's going to have a problem. Um, I mean, look, I haven't spoken. The governor has not talked to me about running for Senate, but he also hasn't ruled anything out. And I know that as things have sort of deteriorated in Albany and it's, you know, become sort of a joke again, there are more and more people who are in his ear saying, if you were there, this wouldn't be happening. So I know there's he's getting a lot of encouragement from all sides to consider a number of different offices. But in terms of the Senate, that's not one that he's talked to me about. Melissa, it's Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you about the budget fight. I understand that there are now one-house bills out there which have radical left agendas being pushed by the legislators. Could you talk to us about that? So, you know, the one-house bills were entered today, and I think sort of to no one's surprise, uh, because of the dynamics we've seen play out up in Albany these last couple of months, the legislature has rejected much of what Kathy Hochul has proposed. They rejected her bail reform changes. They rejected her menthol cigarette ban. They rejected her housing proposal. You know, just up and down the board, her major policy priorities that she, the charter schools they've rejected. And so I think what we're seeing is going into the home stretch, there's going to be sort of another showdown at the OK Corral. And we saw how it went last time. So, you know, the legislature is in the driver's seat. They've got, you know, super majorities in both houses. They have sort of stared her down before and she blinked. You know, she floated this concept of maybe holding up the budget at the end and trying to force some of these changes, particularly on bail and charters through. But, you know, we saw her threaten to sue them over Judge LaSalle, which she never went through on. So I think that her, you know, her threats have you know, the same weight as a feather. 
And so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple of weeks. I think in the end they'll give here and they'll give there, but she's not going to walk away with any significant victories. That is, that is my bet. And when we're all talking at the beginning of April, we'll see if I'm right. But, you know, I, my money's on the legislature. Well, Melissa, this is Craig Eaton. So the, the big elephant in the room here is the bail reform and the criminal justice reform and discovery reform. What do you see? Or what are you hearing in Albany now? I mean, Hochul definitely lost the, the, the judge battle. She definitely lost the bail reform battle. What is she going to do? I mean, she just keeps getting tossed aside and beat up by the Senate and the Assembly. You know, what do you see out there? You know, look, I think we've got to reorient ourselves, guys. You know, we were used to a strong governor, a strong executive, and that doesn't exist anymore. You know, the legislature wanted a weak governor. They got one. And she has not proven that she understands how to use the levers of power at her disposal. And so, you know, she only won with five points, right? She didn't get elected with a mandate. If anything, people from Nancy Pelosi on down blamed her for the weak performance in Congress and potentially single-handedly losing Congress for the Democrats. And then on the other hand, you had the Democratic Senate and Assembly retain their supermajorities. So even though crime was a significant issue, particularly downstate, and where I do think it cost her a lot in her election, and I think it cost congressional seats, it didn't cost the legislature. And so, you know, they are flexing their muscles. They're pulling, you know, they're pushing their weight around. And Hochul, you know, doesn't really have anything to say in return. Melissa, we're going to take a break, but please stand by. We're going to have you on right after the break. And the key question is, April 1st, it's decision period with the budget. Will Kathy Hochul be the governor or would or, or is the state Senate uh, going to be the governor? Stay in tune and we'll be right with you right after the break. So, Melissa DeRosa, who's going to be the governor following the April 1st budget? I mean, my money is on Andrew Stewart Cousins and Carl Heastie. <laughs> I just which for your listeners is the assembly speaker and the Senate majority leader. I, I just I don't see it, John. And these one house budgets that came out today sort of reacting to her budget, they're they're far apart on a lot and it's two against one. Now so the other I question think- on the budget is four hundred and eighty four thousand uh people have left and those are the ones that are paying the taxes. Who's gonna pay the budget next year? Well, and that's the bigger problem, right? Because if you see more outward migration, particularly amongst high earners and businesses, then you your tax base continues to erode. But you have all of these built-in costs in education and transportation and Medicare, Medicaid, excuse me, and Medicare. And so you end up having to sustain that with a smaller pie. And then inevitably you have to raise taxes again. And so it's a vicious cycle that we're in. And until I think crime gets under control and some of the affordability issues are really tackled, including lowering taxes, I think you're going to continue to see more outward migration. Now, Melissa, there's a rumor around. And who better to go to on a rumor than you? There's a rumor around that the real person that's going to challenge uh, Kirsten Gildebrand is AOC. So that is definitely a rumor. I think that she will likely do it. I think that you know, then you're going to see an interesting dynamic where Chuck Schumer, I think, may end up playing both sides because, you know, Chuck Schumer is deathly afraid of AOC. And I think that, you know, he would want to placate her, but then also try to appear like she's still with Gillibrand. And so I actually do think that that is a big concern so for her at the moment. And that's it's Tony Carbonetti, Melissa. How are you in, in that scenario? There's definitely room for Governor Cuomo to come in and win that primary as the adult <laughs> in the room. 
he would certainly be the adult in the room. But, I mean, look, guys, as far as lightweights go, you could knock Kirsten Gillibrand over with a stiff breeze. I mean, well, that, uh, 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 that's what I'm saying. You have her and AOC. He comes in. He's the adult. Well, and if you, this is her biggest problem. What is Kirsten Gillibrand known for? She's been in the Senate for 12 years. What is she known for? She was a good Can bartender. Anyone- no, that's AOC. <laughs> no. Oh, 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 sorry, Kirsten, forgive me. You're right. Kirsten, she's no. known for taking uh, Hillary's seat. Well, and she's known for taking out Al Franken, and that's it. And that is her biggest problem. It's not AOC. It's not Cuomo. It's not Lee Zeldin. Her biggest problem is she has been in that office for a significant amount of time, and she doesn't have much to show for it. She ran for president. She was at 0%. She never went above 0% in the polls, which was sort of embarrassing her and de Blasio. And, you know, she's got to come back hat in hand and run again next year. And the question is, what is her pitch to voters? And right now, I don't think she has one. So so you just basically said Andrew should come and run. All right. That's what I heard. We got to move listening. on. We got to move on. Very, uh, you know, Melissa, great. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa DeRosa. And we'll talk to you again real soon. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. We got Lou Dobbs. We got Lou Dobbs. What the heck is going on? Are, are the banks going out of business? Yeah, well, not all of them anyway. That's the good news I can report to you today. Uh, it looks like we're getting some some response to the Fed intervention, and that is very good news. In fact, we're we've got so much good news here to talk about today. Uh, the market is up. Uh, that is also a positive signal, and uh, I think once again the you know the doomsayers are going to have to kind of pace themselves here. Uh, it isn't going to occur uh, in anything in the near frame. My, my prediction was uh, that uh, uh, inflation is going down. If we, if President Biden opened up Alaska, that means more oil. And when you have the the big war between Russia, OPEC wanting hundred dollar oil, and America wanting seventy dollar oil, maybe seventy dollars will win out, and that way inflation goes away. What say you? Well, I think that that is one possibility, but it is also. Uh, we've got to be very, uh, very clear about the fact this administration has absolutely no idea what it's doing in foreign policy, let alone economic policy. Uh, it, it is almost impossible to imagine a worse set of Lou Dobbs, you can uh, get at least five certified accountants, big law, big accounting firms to certify to that. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I will accept that uh, validation. Uh, but the real issue here now is foreign policy that is – uh, we are now reactionary. Uh, we have an administration that has no idea what China is doing in either the Middle East, uh, in the Indo-Pacific, uh, nor for that matter in our backyards and our own communities here in the United States. Uh, against that backdrop, we have a Wall Street that is so taken with communist China that they're diverting capital by buckets and train car loads to China that should be investing uh, here in this country. And we have a Biden regime that is trying uh, for with all its might to provide a backstop to Chinese communist uh, venture funds uh, who are depositing money uh, in in the in the SVB in Silicon Valley Bank, uh, and this FDIC and this Treasury Secretary want to make good on that money to them. This is madness. Wow. Yeah, Sounds and like the impact on storm. taxpayers, too. Sounds like a perfect storm. So if I go to Las Vegas and I hit on a 16 and I buy a 10, 
I get my money back from the federal government? Absolutely. <laughs> is, is that what you're telling me? That's Tony Carbonetti. I just want to make sure I understand this. <laughs> this is a casino, unfortunately, uh, that we have opened up to to those people who will hit a hit a sixteen with a ten. <laughs> I want to ask you, Lou, um, the politics of it all, too, because Biden has always come out. You just talked about all the stuff that's going on in the world. One of the things he always used to tell politically, and he hasn't announced if he's going to run for reelection yet, is the economy. Uh, like, oh, you know, the economy is doing better under me. You know, it was like foreign policies and chaos. He can't use that one. Right. I mean, this how much does this hurt him politically, all the bank stuff? You know, I really don't know at this point that it is a, a, a major problem for a president who has is beset by so many problems. He's facing issues of his age, his comprehension, his cognitive ability, uh, his uh, his choice of uh, policy that uh, favors always the CCP. Uh, is he compromised? Is he not? We hear today from the House Oversight Committee that it's clear that he is with evidence in hand, says James Comer, the chairman of that committee, and the list goes on. It's hard to imagine uh, the necessity for another problem that would stave off a, a second run. It's hard to imagine another problem that would be as uh, as big uh, and difficult to overcome as the ones that already confront him. You know, Lou, you're bringing up some really great points. And, and the real thing that concerns me is with all of these problems that are coming from the White House and the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI and all these crazy things. How come we're hearing that, that Biden's approval ratings are going up? That's what they're reporting in the news. His approval ratings are going up. I can't see that. I can't see how. I, I can't either. And when we can't see how, Walt Riston, who was a mentor of mine, who used to run Citibank uh, years ago, he said, when things don't make sense, look under the rug. There will always be a mouse. And that's exactly <laughs> what's happening with these uh, these polls we're looking at, and I hate to, to name them, I won't name them, but I'll tell you what sectors they're in. University and media polls right now are worthless. They're just simply worthless. And uh, we know what's happening, the American people do, and I think getting sentiment uh, and confidence uh, polling uh, back uh, is the best thing we can do. We know what's happening. This is a, an administration that is simply inept. Uh, it is beset now by problems that are not easily further ignored, uh, including our open border to the south. Uh, this is uh, this is rising up now as a true crisis for this administration and for this country, because we've got millions of people here. We don't even know what they're doing, where they are, uh, and uh, we're we're at a breaking point here in terms of public policy and I think uh, uh, civil response to what is. Uh, very much an uncivil uh, set of policymakers in this administration. Look, this is Craig Eaton again. You know, he, he it's definitely inept, but this, the scary <laughs> thing is that all the countries around the world see the weakness of Biden, and they're taking right. advantage of it, and they're flexing their muscles, and we're in trouble here. And that's why Saudi we Arabia Saudi Arabia sided with the uh, China to, to and, and endorse the Iran. Iran. Yeah, Iran. You got China, Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia. You got all these countries looking at it and saying, "We only have two more years. We got to take care of business now before Biden gets out." Yes, we're in dangerous I, territory. I think that's exactly right. That they look at this as a yeah. a, a gift that has only two more years. An to opportunity, run, if yeah. that. Yeah. It's an and, opportunity. And you correctly say that right now the perceived weakness is manifest for Xi Jinping. That's why he is being as bellicose and as aggressive in his rhetoric 
as any uh, Chinese leader, I, I believe, in history. Uh, it you. is really a remarkable statement. Thank you, Lou wow. Dobbs, uh, for coming on, for speaking your mind and speaking. Uh, uh, we got to save America, Lou. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks. Lou. God bless you. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And joining us now, we have Dr. Peter Mihalos, of course, our expert here on everything at WABC, our resident genius. Uh, Dr. Mihalos, by the way, did you see, I know you want to talk about toxic chemicals. Did you see Ohio just announced it's suing Norfolk Southern for that train derailment where they're so worried about exactly what you want to talk about? toxic chemicals, and all the stuff in the soil in general? Well, the toxic chemicals that are in our water are definitely an issue. And today the EPA did something uh, unusual and they acted. And what they did was there are chemicals called PFAs, polychlorinated. And what does that mean? These are chemicals found in certain cleaners, in water repellents, in our clothes that are water repellents, in those no-stick pans that we all know about. The reason they call them forever chemicals is because they actually never break down. So the EPA today proposed limits on these chemicals to lower the legal acceptable limit in the drinking water. Why? Because now uh, research from the CDC has announced it's associated with lower birth weights, kidney cancers, thyroid problems, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and uh, asthma. And uh, when you can actually do a blood test and measure the detectable levels, they're saying that about 98% of us have some detectable levels in our body. Now, what does that mean? The other issue is that, you know, we drink all of these bottled waters, but the problem is the animals that we eat, for example, you have a hamburger or a steak, you're filet mignon. Guess what? Those animals are also drinking these waters that contain these PSA chemicals, so they're being transmitted to the animals, to us, the same way, for example, when they give livestock antibiotics or hormones, guess what? We eat that, and it gets transmitted to us, and that goes the same for some of the farm Doctor. fish uh, <laughs> that we eat. Dr. Michalos, I mean, we saw that in the first warning. You know, me and you live out in the uh, Hamptons a lot, and uh, the warning about eating deer meat from the Hamptons because they eat up the uh, uh, the plants— that may contain some bad contaminants, including radiation. Well, sure. If you have uh, a cow, for example, uh, uh, eating food that was uh, hit with pesticides, <laughs> you're eventually absorbing that pesticide. Or when you are not eating, for example, free-range chicken, and they're in tight quarters because they get infections, that's why they get antibiotics, then we take those antibiotics, and then that affects our gut microbiome and sometimes kills some of our good bacteria. So we are related to the soil and to the ocean and to our water supply. So this is a big step. Things you can do, you can use a carbon filter in your central water in your house. That does help reduce the amount of PFAs that enter our body and uh, try to avoid some of those things. I was talking to an integrative medicine doctor, Dr. Magdalena in uh, Southampton, and she was talking about the no-state pans and the 
the water and the clothing that we spray sometimes in furniture as a water or stain repellent. And those PFAs, again, are called forever chemicals because you can't break them down. But if you, the best way to do it is stop exposure. And it sometimes can take up to four years if you stop exposure to these things to finally get it out of your system. But I think now because these papers are coming out that they're associated with these things like low fertility cancers and asthma, they're starting to take it more seriously but it's going to be an expensive process uh, because if they start testing waters in communities, they're going to have to start also uh, adding those filtration systems, and especially in that East Palestine uh, area a disaster that occurred, we definitely have to protect those people and protect their water supply. All right. Well, former uh, Peter Mihalos, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Yeah, you know what I was thinking of? You know what I was thinking Everybody of? Everybody else in this room is a former. Yeah, 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 we're all formers. You know what I was about to say, Peter? I was thinking of uh, Jack Keene, who's coming up, uh, because we're going to be talking with him, of course, about so many things that are going on in the world. But, Peter, you are the best. Thank you Absolutely. very much. We love having Thank you here on the show. Ask him about what's happening with those hypersonic missiles that we keep hearing about. I knew you'd have a question for him. That's why I, I was thinking about it. I know it, Peter. You know everything. The great Dr. Peter Mihalos, current and always doctor. We love having you here on the show. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Big news today. A Russian jet colliding with a U.S. drone. What does this all mean? Lots of questions. Well, joining us now is retired American four-star general, former vice chief of staff of the U.S. Army, and also presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, General Jack Keane. Uh, General Keene, really great to have you here on the show. Uh, tell us about this is huge news. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Rita, thank you. Uh, well, uh, what's taking place, uh, according to a Pentagon briefing, is this uh, U.S. drone likely flying a surveillance mission in the vicinity of Black Sea. And I'm assuming uh, looking at Russian forces operating either in support of their operations in Ukraine or looking at them in Ukraine um, <clears throat> was spotted certainly by a, uh, a Russian fighter aircraft, likely a pair, and they released some fuel that impacted uh, the drone. And then also uh, this drone uh, is uh, MQ-9 Reaper, and it has a propeller at the rear as opposed to the front of it. And they interfered with that propeller, which severely damaged it. And at that point, uh, the operator of, of the drone, uh, you know, flew it into the ground to, de to destroy it or flew it into the sea to destroy it. I'm, I think it probably flew it into the sea. So uh, that was a provocation, certainly by Russia. Uh, it was intentional. I don't, there's no accident here, according to the Pentagon briefing, and it remains to be seen. Uh, what the consequences of that will be and how this uh, administration will deal with it. Yeah. Is there anything that's going to step up the ante now um, with the U.S. versus Russia? That's the big question. Well, I, don't, I, I don't think we'll, we'll, you know, we're close to going to war with Russia. But at the same time, if we don't take some kind of reciprocal action here, and I'm certain the Pentagon is probably going through a, a range of options, uh, they'll have to just do it again. So, or maybe eventually uh, uh, harass and interfere uh, with a piloted aircraft, which they have done in the past and somewhat dangerously, uh, I may add as well. So, General, it's Tony Carbonetti. So, it's undeniably 
neutral airspace, correct? Uh, the, the Pentagon emphasized that point more than once, that, that it was in international airspace. And, and that, that would be what we would do. I, I mean, I know we've been flying reconnaissance missions uh, around Ukraine even you know, prior to the, the war beginning. And uh, we attempt to, uh, to do that in international airspace, and not, certainly not, none of that was a violation uh, of Russia's airspace, nor has Russia claimed we violated their airspace. Well, historically, the Russians have had no problem shooting down commercial airliners. I mean, they've shot down at least two in the last 30 years. So why wouldn't they just come and poke one of our you know, unmanned drones? Nothing seems to happen to them. Well, we'll see. I mean, certainly uh, something should as a consequence of this. I agree. And, and I'm hoping that uh, we – the drones are parked, by the way, in staging areas uh, in uh, in Crimea. Uh, Crimea <laughs> is Ukraine territory, not Russian territory, although the Russians claim that territory. So there's a lot of vulnerability here. Russia – is flying drones on a regular basis. Uh, many of the more recent drones they're flying are the ones they got from Iran. But yeah, you know, there's there's obviously reciprocal action that that could be taken that doesn't necessarily escalate the situation, but certainly gets their attention. So and, what, and what should we do, clearly. General Keen? What should we do in uh, as a response? Well, I would take uh, I, I would take uh, some of their drones down. Uh, out of their staging area, it, it would be the recommendation I, I, I'd be making. And, and, and we have to take action. Uh, and, and, it, and it shouldn't be something lame. Um, it should be aggressive action. I mean, we, we need to send a message here, correct, General? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, uh, look at uh, th- this is simple logic that uh, that's being used here. And, and I know people you know, who don't want to take action likely because you walk up the ladder of escalation. But I've, we have seen this time and time again uh, with the Obama-Biden administration where Obama would not take action because he gets paralyzed by the fear of adverse consequence. General, and, this is Craig Eaton. I, I read something today. The White House called the intercept reckless. <laughs> now, that's not really an aggressive response to what happened here. No, well, I mean, I mean it, it need to be more aggressive, accident. right? Yeah. This was it. This was intentional. Intentional. So, so it's not so, reckless, but yeah. I, it, it sounds to me like yeah, if the yeah. White House came right out and said it's reckless, that's going to be the, the the lane that they're going to be going down, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, let's give them some time to think <laughs> through this. Let's give the Pentagon some time to come up with some options, and uh, hopefully, it's something that's realistic and consequential. Yeah. The question is, do we have any faith that he will do anything? We've seen the way he's handled other things. Can I vote on that? Yeah, go I ahead. I don't think so. Is that a I'm no, not, no, I don't have no? any faith. But you know what? Like I said, we have to give it a day or so and see what their response is. General Keene, we have a mess in our hands overall world. And uh, thank you for your input. And thank you for keeping the confidence up for the American people. And God bless you. And yeah, you're quite welcome. Thank, thank you. you, General. And you know what we, we all you. stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, and the American American way. way. God bless America. We need God's help now. Yes, so much on the plate.